Bibles to Psalm 81, is where our text is going to be this morning. Psalm 81. To the choir master, according to the Giddeth of Asaph. Sing aloud to God our strength. Shout for joy to the God of Jacob. Raise a song. Sound the tambourine, the sweet lyre with the harp. Blow the trumpet at the new moon, at the full moon on our feast day. For it is a statute for Israel, a rule of the God of Jacob. He made it a decree in Joseph when he went out over the land of Egypt. I hear a language I had not known. I relieved your shoulder of the burden. Your hands were freed from the basket. In distress you called, and I delivered you. I answered you in the secret place of thunder. I tested you at the waters of Meribah, Selah. Hear, O my people, while I admonish you. O Israel, if you would but listen to me, there should be no strange God among you. You shall not bow down to a foreign God. I am the Lord your God, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. But my people did not listen to my voice. Israel would not submit to me. So I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own counsels. Oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. I would soon subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their foes. Those who hate the Lord would cringe toward him, and their fate would last forever. But he would feed you with the finest of the wheat, And with honey from the rock, I would satisfy you. This is the word of the Lord. Let's go to the Lord in prayer to ask for his blessing on our message today. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we have it in our own language and that we can understand it. I pray that you would teach us from your word, that we would see truth and store it deep down in our hearts. Lord, we love you. We pray all this in your son's name. Amen. You ever notice that as you get older, birthday parties become less fun? Our culture is very focused on birthdays. Now, we see this theme of celebrating birthdays actually in the Bible. It's in a very obscure place, Job 1.4. We see that Job's children would gather to celebrate their birthdays. Fast forward thousands of years, we still celebrate birthdays, but... As we get older, birthdays seem to lose their luster. Think about it, right? You're five years old and you were just invited to somebody's birthday party. It's going to be the greatest day ever, right? You're 10 years old and maybe you're going to have a laser tag birthday party. Laser tag is tons of fun. I enjoy laser tag, especially when I get to beat my high school students at it. You turn 16, and while we're thankful for the presents, the cake, the food, the party, we really only care about getting our driver's license. Right? We turn 18, we're finally an adult. That's all we care about. And then when we turn 21, we realize that we weren't really an adult at 18, and we had a lot to learn. Then you turn 25, well, now you can rent a car, and you've been on the earth for a quarter of a century. That's pretty cool. 30, you realize you're not in as good a shape as you were in high school. 40, You're lamenting that you have to take your kids to someone else's kid's birthday party. And they don't let you play laser tag at 40. We should enjoy our birthdays. 
right? Birthdays are a time for us to celebrate the Lord's faithfulness year after year. Another year has passed, and God's faithfulness is still there, and He has rained blessings down upon us. Psalm 81 is a sermon, right? The psalmist in Psalm 81, he is calling the people of Israel and the future readers to see the faithfulness of God over the years and to point them to a bright future. The theme of Psalm 81 is this, the Lord proves his faithfulness to those who heed his wisdom yesterday, today, and forever. We'll see this theme in three ways. God calls us to rejoice, God calls us to remember, and God calls us to repent. Rejoice, remember, and repent. Psalm 81 begins with a festival theme. The psalmist is calling the reader to rejoice in the Lord. Let's look at verses 1 through 3a. Sing aloud to God our strength. Shout for joy to the God of Jacob. Raise a song. Sound the tambourine, the sweet lyre with the harp. Blow the trumpet at the new moon. Yes, this is a call to rejoice, right? There is a call to play instruments, to be excited, to rejoice like you're meeting a king. Now, there are seven references to noisemaking in this three verses here that are in conjunction with celebrating what the Lord has done. Now, when are the people supposed to do this? When are they supposed to do this? Are they supposed to do it whenever they feel like it? No. Is it every few years? No. No, it's a statute of a celebration every new moon festival and at the full moon festival of tabernacles. Now, we see this prescribed in Numbers 10.10. On the day of your gladness also, and at your appointed feasts, and at the beginnings of your months... You shall blow the trumpets over your burnt offerings and over the sacrifices of your peace offerings. They shall be a reminder of you before your God. I am the Lord your God. So that's what our text in Psalm 81 is referring to. The new moon festival observes two things. First, it's a time when the crescent moon is now visible after the new moon phase has passed. In writing this sermon, I did a lot of research on the moon. It's quite interesting. Second, it's the marking of a new month. Now, maybe you're not putting this together like I did, and that's okay. But as I read through this psalm, and as I read through the Bible, I realized something. Here today in 2023, we do not celebrate things as often as people in the Old Testament did. When was the last time you had a feast with your family to celebrate the ending of a month and the beginning of a new month? When was the last time you rejoiced that another month has passed and God has been faithful and you have had life to enjoy? Sadly, it seems that we despise the passing of time. The preacher reminds the people that God commands the festivals. He commands the celebrations in the Torah. God wants the people to celebrate. Because these festivals are a reminder that God is indeed faithful. That God continues to sustain life, which should be celebrated. Right? Life is uncertain. We're not promised tomorrow. Though somewhere along the way we lost the drive to celebrate every single day and every month that we have. Instead of starting each day rejoicing in the Lord's providence, we start each day with a groan. Right? Rather than, great, we're awake. It's more like, great, we're awake. 
My golden retriever woke me up at 4 a.m. this morning because she had to go to the bathroom. I can tell you I was not thrilled. Israel celebrates the faithfulness of the Lord each month. And though Psalm 81 is pointing to a specific new moon, it's pointing to a specific celebration. That is the new moon before the Feast of Tabernacles. Okay, I know we're using a lot of Old Testament jargon. That's okay, we're going to get there. 3b through 5a, at the full moon on the feast day, for it is a statute for Israel, a rule of the God of Jacob. He made it a decree in Joseph, and when he went out, over the land of Egypt, right? So the Israelites celebrate each new month, but this specific month, they also celebrate the full moon as well. This coincides with the Feast of Tabernacles, or it's also called the Feast of Booths or Sukkot. It takes place four days after the Day of Atonement. So what is this festival? What is the psalmist getting at? Well, It's one of the three great festivals, and it only happens after the grain has been threshed and the grapes have been pressed. Actually, we see a a reference to the grape harvest in the title of our psalm, Giddeth, which comes from gath, which means wine press. This is a harvest festival, right? The people are celebrating the harvest. They've taken in the grain, they've taken in the grapes, they have made wheat or bread, and they have made wine. God made the statute for this celebration, and he gave it to the people of Israel after they had fled out of Egypt in the Exodus. Now, let's talk about this Feast of Tabernacles for a quick moment. Okay, what was this? What did they do? Well, first, they made these booths, they call them, out of cloth. It's, it's really a tent. I don't know why they call it a booth. But they, they make this tent, and they go out in the wilderness, and they live in these booth tents for seven days. Seven whole days. It begins on the Sabbath and it ends on the Sabbath. No work, just celebrating. Just merrymaking, just instrument playing. No work, just celebrating. The Israelites are called to do this by God so that they would remember what the Israelite generation in the wilderness went through when they lived in the tents and they wandered in the desert. God wanted them to remember their past. And God calls his people to rejoice. The psalmist resonates this joy for the reader, celebrating the faithfulness of God. For the Christian, we should read this psalm and see that the Israelites were our people. These are our people. This is our history because we are adopted and grafted in. We do celebrate God's faithfulness with our spiritual ancestors But we should be celebrating each day as a gift from God, as a gift that we have because we are not promised tomorrow. God does not tuck us in at night and tell us you have one more day tomorrow. We don't know. See, where the Israelites celebrated each month, we should celebrate every day, living it as if it is our last. Now that sounds a little morbid, but what I mean here is, is that we should spend our day loving our family and friends. Right? We should spend our day doing the labor that God has set before us. And then we should do the time of worship and praising our God. And then we should go to sleep, resting in the knowledge that whatever comes our way, God indeed is master and commander over our lives. See, where the Israelites hoped in a coming Messiah to rescue them from their oppression, we hope in Jesus Christ 
who did the work on our behalf and will return again. A day when we are celebrating like we are meeting a king. Now, after this theme of celebration, right after this first portion of the psalm, the psalmist gets to the second part, and this is our second point, is that God calls us to remember the forebearer's mistakes. God calls us to remember. Verse 5b through 7. I hear a language I had not known. I relieved your shoulder of the burden. Your hands were freed from the basket. In distress you called and I delivered you. I answered you in the secret place of thunder. I tested you at the waters of Meribah, Selah. God not only rescued his people from Egypt, but he set things in motion that they could not understand what happened. You see, the Israelites spent their days in Egypt making bricks, lifting heavy burdens, doing back-breaking work. There was no compassion. There was no respite. They cried out for deliverance. And what did God do? He delivered them. Yes, God delivered them, but what else did he do? He takes them out of Egypt, brings them to Mount Sinai, and he gives them the law. Now, the secret place of thunder, right? That's kind of an odd saying in our psalm, but that is a reference to Mount Sinai when God gave the Israelites the law. You see, God not only took away their source of grief and pain and bondage, but he taught them how to live as a holy people set apart for a holy God. He taught them how to prevent illness in the camp. He taught them what foods to eat and what foods not to eat. He taught them how to live in relation to their creator and sustainer. He liberated them from their burdens, and he brought them to a place all their own, right? The promised land. Now, I know that's simplifying it a little bit, right? He brought them out of Egypt. He brought them to the promised land. I I understand it's a simplification, but we are forgetting this one little part in the middle called disobedience and wandering in the desert for 40 years. You see, the moment the law was given, the people began to transgress the law. We talked about this this morning in our, our, um, our confession of sin, right? The people didn't break the law at all times, but at any point when someone breaks one part of the law, the entire law is broken, right? Now, we don't often think that way in our modern age, right? If you're speeding, you don't think that you've broken every law in the book, right? You haven't, but... If the law as a whole is transgressed at one point, you are a lawbreaker. The people are given the law, and from that very moment, they continue to transgress the law. They are constantly breaking the law. Why is this? Why does this happen? Because as Paul says in Romans, the law is perfect in every way, but it's also a mirror because it shows us our sin. The law reveals sin. And now the people, they don't not only break the law, but they continue to grumble against God and Moses for all their problems. When the problems they have begin with themselves and their sin. The reference at Meribah, that is the point where the people grumbled against God because they did not have any water. And so God had Moses bring forth water from the rock the first time. Exodus 17, 1-3. All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages, according to the commandment of the Lord, and camped at Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. 
And Moses said to them, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted for water. And the people grumbled against Moses and said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt? To kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? The people, rather than asking God for what they need, they complain, they grumble, and they bring up that fun thing that Moses loved to hear. They do this all the time. Moses loved to hear it. Why did we leave Egypt? Right? Why did you bring us out of Egypt? Why shouldn't we go back to Egypt? In Egypt, we had all the food we wanted. Egypt this, Egypt that. They were in slavery. How quick they forget that they were in bondage just because they're going through a trial in the desert. Yet despite the Lord causing bread to fall from the sky and quail to come into the camp for them to eat, And bringing water from many random places for them to drink. They do not trust the Lord. They continue to transgress the law. The psalmist is calling the people of his day to remember. Remember what your forefathers did. You see, he wants the people to remember the Israelites in the wilderness. Why? Because there's something special about the Israelites in the wilderness. There's something special about that generation. Do you want to know what the special thing about that generation was? They died in the desert. They never made it to the promised land. God responds through the psalmist in verses 8 through 10. Hear, O my people, while I admonish you. O Israel, if you would but listen to me, there shall be no strange God among you. You shall not bow down to a foreign God. I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. We see God is calling his people to remember the folly of their ancestors. He calls them to remember the fateful consequences of their disobedience. See, God instituted the sacrificial system because there can be no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood. And he gave his people a way to wash themselves and make themselves clean. But as well, God wanted the people to see a consequence to their sin. Right? They had to give something up. Right? They had to sacrifice one of their livestock. Now the Old Testament is full of verses saying God wants his people to have broken and contrite hearts regarding their sin. So as he says this in verses 8 through 10, the people need to remember to listen to God, to keep his statutes. And looking back from today, right, looking back from today, we can see the history of our people. And we can know something very profound. See, the burden on the Israelites in Egypt was not so much their bricks, but it was their sin. The burden on the people wanting for bread and water in the desert was not their hunger, It was their sin. And the burden on the generation of the the people of Israel that died in the wilderness was not their inability to walk to the promised land. It was their sin. You see, sin is the problem. God gave the law to show sin. And from the day that the law is given to today, God never dismisses his standard of perfection. The people could make their sacrifice day after day, And they could atone for the sins of that day, but they could never remove the burden of sin. The moment their sins were atoned for, the sinning began afresh again. There's no end to the cycle. 
When the people heard this message from the psalmist, God had already planned to rescue the people from their sins. When the people of Israel quarreled with Moses and God, God had already planned to rescue the people from their sin. The people of God were in Egypt breaking their backs day after day. God had already planned to break the shackles of their sin. You see, God the Father planned to reconcile sinners back to himself once for all through the work of his Son, Jesus Christ. In the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, God has redeemed each and every one of us. And he's redeemed us from the tyranny of Satan. He's plucked us from the fire that we so rightly deserve. God showed through the sacrificial system that in order for sins to be atoned for, there must be a shedding of blood and something must be given up. God gave up his son on our behalf, crushing him with the weight of his wrath that was reserved for us, that we would be spared. So as we understand what God has done, this last portion of the psalm, of Psalm 81, has a message for the original hearers and for us. Right? Where God calls us to rejoice, God calls us to remember, in this final part, God calls us to repent. In the final portion of Psalm 81, the psalmist outlines two paths. He outlines the path of death and the path of life. Now, each path has four markers on it that show progression farther along the path. I will be as clear as I can regarding what these signposts are. First, let's look at the path of death. Verse 11, 12, and 15. But my people did not listen to my voice. Israel would not submit to me. So I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own counsels. And I'll read uh, verse 15 from the NASB. Those who hate the Lord would pretend to obey him, and their time of punishment would be forever. There are four signposts along the path to death. First, a lack of obedience leads to an inability to submit. See, the people of Israel would not listen to God. Thus, they pushed themselves away from God, refusing to submit. An Israelite, Refusing to submit to God could say that we've exchanged one slavery for another. Though we all know that living before a holy God is not slavery. And as one commentator puts it, Israel, the Israelites rejecting God as if a lock had rejected its key. As if a baby bird had rejected its mother. Such was the demented human material that God handled and handles. Here we see a lack of repentance. That second signpost is the inability to submit leads to a stubborn heart. Now like a child who demands to touch a hot stove, the people of Israel demanded their freedom from God. And he finally gave them over to it. Brothers and sisters, desiring to touch a hot stove is silly. We know this. But to the child who has never touched a hot stove, well, how do, we know, how do they know that we have their best interest at heart? How can they trust that we aren't just keeping them from the greatest feeling in the world? 
How do children know that parents don't wait for their children to go to sleep just so they can spend the whole night touching the hot stove? If we desire something long enough, God will give us over to it. I recently read the account of a pastor named Nate who was addicted to pornography. And as time went on and he fed his addiction, he continued to seek out more and more perverted things to watch. And as his lack of repentance continued, his heart grew more stubborn. We'll pause here to look at the third signpost. A stubborn heart leads to following your own counsel. For Nate, after enough time of desiring sinful things, God gave Nate over to his desires, and he had an affair. His own counsel told him that in order to feed his desires, he needed to seek out an affair, seek out someone who was not his wife. Now the good news for Nate is that he has used this hitting of rock bottom in his life to teach other men, to lead other men to Christ before it is too late for them. See, Nate and the Bible affirm that following your own counsels is a bad thing. Leaning on your own understandings is a bad thing. Why? Because we humans are disposed to give in to sin. The sin inside us begs for release. It begs for just, just a small amount of time. Just, just one more time. And when we give in to sin... We forsake the counsel of the Lord, and instead we follow our own. And then what happens? The fourth signpost on the path to death. Following your own counsel leads to death. Listen, the number one priority of a parent is to teach their child about Jesus, right? To train their child up in the way they should go. But the number two priority of a parent is to spend the entire life of the child making sure the child does not follow their own counsel. Do you know how utterly silly the counsel of a child is? Children, I love you all. Sometimes we have silly thoughts. The counsel of a child is very silly. From birth to three years old, the way children interact with the world is by putting everything in their mouth. This is a bad idea. The Bible is very clear that following your own counsel is very silly. You say to yourself, well, I wouldn't, you know, touch everything in the world and then put my hands in my mouth. No, you wouldn't. But you know what you do do? You sin. It is silly to follow your own counsel. Silly like a child whose heart's desire above all things is to touch that hot stove. The psalmist reminds the people that a lack of obedience leads to the inability to submit. An inability to submit leads to a stubborn heart. A stubborn heart leads to following your own counsel. And following your own counsel leads to death. But here's the good news. Through repentance, God forgives God rescues. God restores. God, through the psalmist, is calling people to repent. And instead of following the path to death, follow the path to life. Verses 13, 14, and 16. Oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. I would soon subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their foes. But he would feed you with the finest of wheat 
and with honey from the rock I would satisfy you. There are four signposts on the path to life. First, listening to wisdom means walking in ways of wisdom. See, the people of Israel that listen to the wisdom of their God, they learn how to walk in ways of wisdom. Walking in wisdom means knowing what is right and knowing what is wrong. Walking in wisdom means knowing that you don't know what is best for you. Walking in wisdom means not leaning on your own understandings, but acknowledging the one who makes your paths straight. The second signpost is walking in ways of wisdom leads to salvation from the enemy. When you learn how to walk in ways of wisdom, the Lord makes straight your path. Your path is protected and safe from the enemy, this enemy that seeks to assail you. What enemy is this? The enemy is sin. Sin seeks to assail us. Sin seeks to master us. Sin seeks to constrict us. But when you walk in the ways of wisdom, you are saved from the enemy. The wise heart knows where sin is and does not go there. The wise heart is led not to ruin, but to salvation. The third signpost, being led to salvation from the enemy, leads to being satisfied. This is a big signpost, friends. This is is very important. When you walk along the path of wisdom and you have been rescued from the flaming darts of sin, you learn to be satisfied with the provisions given in the Lord. Rather than be full, God through the psalmist says that he will satisfy. Right? We know the difference of these two words. Right? To be full and to be satisfied are two different things. Being full is different than being satisfied. And in verse 16, God is using a food metaphor, right? But the bigger picture here is connecting what is being said to the Israelites in the wilderness. The Israelites grumbled and complained because they wanted to be full, not because they wanted to be satisfied. They didn't want what they needed. They needed what they wanted. Being led to salvation from sin means being satisfied with what our hearts need, not with what they want. And fourth, being satisfied leads to eternal life. I guess they're all important. This one's really important too. The psalmist wraps up his preaching by reminding the people that God promises to satisfy. But he doesn't promise to satisfy just the need right now. He doesn't promise just to satisfy you through the end of the year. right? He doesn't promise to satisfy you for a few years now. You see, the Hebrew word here for satisfy is in the verb tense of an uncompleted causation. And what does that mean? It means that God will cause you to be satisfied, ongoing, continuously, until your satisfaction is complete. And when that completion occurs, there will be no more desire, because your satisfaction will be complete. You will be satisfied. The Israelites were hoping in something they could not understand. In this psalm, the preacher is pointing forward. He is pointing forward to how the Lord will satisfy. And how will the Lord satisfy? The Lord will satisfy through Jesus Christ. The only way to follow this path of life is to call upon the name of the Lord Jesus. The only way to find satisfaction is to believe in the one who kept the law perfectly. 
You see, a a typical sermon would take an understanding of the law and then pivot to the gospel. But Psalm 81's unique construction of a harvest psalm begins with the gospel, pivots to the law, and then brings the gospel again. Where the celebration was happening in the beginning because of God's faithfulness, so too the psalm ends celebrating God's faithfulness. Where we began with the harvest that was just brought in, we end with the promise of a harvest never ending. Psalm 81 features a preacher reminding the people that God was faithful to the Israelites in the Exodus days. Right? The preacher reminds the hearers of the psalm in his day that God would still be faithful. But most importantly, the preacher speaks to all who would hear this today. You and me that we would know that God will be faithful till the end. But not end in the way that we think of the word end. Right, The end I speak of is actually just the beginning. You see, this life is a short chapter in a much larger book. This life is short. You see, the Bible points us to Christ's coming return. On that day, the gray rain curtain of this world will roll back, and what will we see? We will see the Lord descending. The songs will be raised. The tambourines will be shaken. The sweet lyre and harps will be plucked. And the trumpet, the trumpet will sound. Not because of a new moon, but because of the king coming down. And our king will make his throne on a field of victory. When all the enemies will be defeated and all sad things will be untrue. And all will be complete in their satisfaction. The day Jesus our Lord draws his people to himself. And we have the final coronation and the final wedding feast where loud music, singing and shouting ushered in the harvest and the bushels of wheat and the vats of grapes. So too loud music, singing and shouting will usher in the final wedding feast of the Lamb. Where the wheat that was threshed will be bread never ending. And the grapes that have been pressed will be wine ever flowing. And we will live in satisfaction for all eternity. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would bless us this day. Help us to see the weight of our sin. Help us to know that we have indeed fallen short of your glory and that we cannot reach the shore of your salvation on our own. We thank you that you sent your Son, that he would come and rescue us. Where Moses parted the sea and Joshua parted the river, your Son parts the ocean that lies between us and you. Lord, as we talk about bread and we talk about wine, we are drawn to the communion meal. And we look forward to the day that we will celebrate where every day is better than the last. Father, I pray that you'd strengthen us. For while we rejoice in this message, there are many out in the world who do not. There are many who have no idea who you are. And I pray that you would use us to reach the lost of this world. We love you, Lord. We thank you that you first loved us and that you call us your own. We pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.